Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton. Thanks for another great All the Best episode. Jump online to listen back. What do you do when art you love is made by someone you hate? So today we're talking about the ethical consumption of art. And we'll also be talking with Guardian film critic and writer Lauren Carroll Harris about Screen Australia's gender policy and why your local cinema is so important. Like always, it's been a big year for bad people making good art, and historically the Oscars have been the, the kind of locus for that tension. You might have seen the footage of Brie Larson awarding Casey Affleck an Oscar recently. So the po- poetics of that was pretty inescapable. It was a very striking metaphor of the Academy kind of cementing that idea that the art made by these men is more important than the violence they enact on people in their industry. Can we just go back? What actually happened with Casey Affleck? So uh, so Brie Larson... So the. <laughs> How do I pull this apart? The two main charges that um, kind of came about with Casey Affleck um, came from two women, the producer and cinematographer of a movie, I'm Still Here. I don't know if you guys remember that really wacky one with Joaquin Phoenix, where he just goes totally... It's like a faux documentary or something like that. Um, Anyway, so uh, it came out in late 2008 um, and early 2009, and it's uh, kind of this, like not so secret secret in Hollywood that um, that Casey Affleck is this kind of serial predator and just like a generally creepy dude who's like positions himself in these films to harass his co-workers um, and so he did so I think it was like again two women brought forward charges and they were settled outside of court but it, yeah like I was saying it's like this unspoken thing that he is like generally regarded to be or he has a really bad reputation right. as being a um uh, sexual predator. Um, and we will actually be talking a lot today about gendered violence. We're going to try and minimise the amount we talk about the specific violent acts of these people. Um, but I think what was really particularly sad was that Brie Larson won an Oscar the year before for her role in The Room, which was about her being held prisoner. It was like a really confronting film. And so for her to have to give this Oscar to this man who um, is, is pretty regarded, generally regarded in the industry as being a sexual predator was really kind of gross. And it, it, But it also was gross because it just, yeah, cemented that idea that these men are unimpeachable mm. and that they can just get away with those things. Yeah, the reason that we're talking about it is because it's so ingrained in Hollywood. You know, you have Woody Allen, Roman Polanski, Mel Gibson... They just keep getting awarded and because of that, their crimes continue to be diminished in light of their art, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if we could call what Mel Gibson does art, but anyway, <laughs> he, he's getting awards. He got like two Oscars, yeah. which is like really weird. But it raises an interesting question about the relationship between art and morals. And I think that the logic that people use with that question of the separation of art and the artist is that obviously art doesn't exist in a vacuum and so you can never you're never able to find out that it isn't in some way implicated in something unsavory. So um, once, so basically what people kind of use as their logic for these kind of conversations is that, yeah, there is no film, there is no painting, there is no music that, um, that isn't 
in some way connected to something, yeah, unsavory. Or that you don't agree with, Mm. maybe. Yeah, it's interesting that that logic extends pretty only specifically to white men in Hollywood, though. Like the Nate Turner case made that hypocrisy really clear. And just to backtrack on that, it is a pretty nasty case that resulted in the woman involved committing suicide. And we're not going to run through the details again, but basically the men in question were protected because of their status as star athletes. And it's important to note as well that they were African-American and when they went on to make that really important film, Birth of a Nation, the crime that they were implicated in was at the forefront of the coverage of that film, which is another thing altogether. So the conversations that people were having around that were about boycotting the film as a moral act and white men in Hollywood are not held to that same kind of standard. Yeah, I don't think I fully appreciated that until the Nate Turner case came out because it's that kind of overdone... It's like a cliche that, like, you have to separate the art from the artist because, you know, the art itself is the most important thing. Mm. But when, say, a person of colour is implicated in a crime, suddenly we boycott that film and it's important that we send a message to women that their lives are important. But... When you think about Manchester by the Sea, which Casey Affleck won an Oscar for, or Blue Jasmine, which Woody Allen won an Oscar for, and Kate Blanchett, she received the Oscar, I think, or she won an Oscar for Best Actress, and she was talking about how important that film was for women, and it was like, are you serious? <laughs> and like Meryl Streep um, gave Roman Polanski a, um, a standing ovation when he won um, an Oscar. And it's kind of, it's not as if it's just these like baddies in like executive boardrooms in the Oscars that are like, let's just protect white men. It's like the whole industry is... The culture of it. The culture of it is to protect these men. And so when they do commit these crimes or are accused of committing these crimes, when it seems as though when they're white, there is this separation between the art and the artist. But when when it relates to a person of colour or someone outside of that very particular group that is protected suddenly it becomes like your moral imperative to boycott it Mm. um, because of its connection to that crime yeah well I think this conversation extends out beyond just film as well like it becomes a conversation of what you do and don't listen to or don't watch or don't consume based on how you morally feel about it like do you listen to Ace of Base because they're (laughs) because they're allegedly tied to neo-nazis you know like there are a lot of kind of decisions that you have to make as a consumer and I think we are living in a time now where it's not enough to be completely unaware of what you're watching or what you're listening to and where that's or completely unaware of where that's come from and also that ambivalence is a political act in itself Mm. you're doing this kind of Tom Brady thing of like oh I don't really listen to politics it's like doing that in itself yeah. is saying that you don't care about these issues. But we want to hear from you. Um, have you made a conscious decision to not consume or boycott um, a, an art? An art. An art. <laughs> <Do you laughs> an not? art. Um, or a film or music because, because, of your, um, because of your moral stance on it. So Yeah, tell us about something that you don't listen to or don't watch because someone bad made it. <laughs> um, we're going to take a track now from Marcus Whale, who we can confirm is a very lovely person. And this art is we can, yeah, We can definitely endorse. Um, this one is called Vulnerable. It's from the Inland Sea album, and this beautiful film clip just came out for it the other day. Um, we'd jump online and watch that. You're on Agenda with FBI.
Legendary, frank and funny, Martha Wainwright lays her life bare on the Sydney Opera House stage, Sunday, March 12. 
In an exclusive Australian interview, the singer-songwriter reflects on the crazy things that have happened to herself and those around her. From tales of growing up as the child of folk rock royalty to collaborating with her brother Rufus and more. Book now for Martha Wainwright in conversation at sydneyoperahouse.com. Sponsoring FBI. This is Agenda with Katie Winton and Isabel Hawthorburn. We just had a track by local artist Marcus Whale. You're listening to Agenda on FBI. This morning we're talking about the ethical consumption of art and how it relates to film and the Oscar season in general. We're joined now by Guardian film critic and writer Lauren Carroll Harris. In your job, you must run into this question of the separation between the art and the artist quite a lot. You, and you really liked Manchester by the Sea, so I was wondering how you kind of... That's what I got from your Instagram anyway. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I time. was wondering how you kind of negotiate your feminism with your kind of obligation in your job to critically engage with film. Yeah, it's it's not something that I can divide. I'm pretty upfront, you know. I'm kind of a bit of a, like, hey, if you're into anti-capitalist feminist film rants, like, I'm right here, you know. <laughs> and, you know, as because I work as a writer and a critic, I have to be across almost, you know, everything, all the things that people are having conversations about. Um, so it's important to me that my criticisms are based on the films and on reality and not just my predicted ideas of what those films might be about. So, yeah, I mean, I did go and see Manchester by the Sea, um, despite the fact that Casey Affleck has, um, you know, had some pretty pretty serious sexual um, assault allegations levelled against him, which he um, settled out of court, you know, and obviously that's, that's not a good look. Mm. <laughs> um, it means there's something pretty dodgy going on. But I actually think that... Um, in a lot of ways, probably the emphasis needs to be shifted away from thinking about, uh, you know, representation and diversity and, you know, feminism and, and race and those things in the film industry away from consumption and looking at them as industry problems. I actually think it's a it's a real problem that, well, you know, why are people who are serial sexual assaulters uh, still employed? Why are they... Why are they working? Um, so actually, I think there's a good argument for this shift away in attention from us as consumers um, to really looking at, well, yeah, like why is why is this an ongoing problem in the film industry? You know, Casey Affleck was awarded his Best Actor Oscar this year by um, Brie... What's her Larson? Name? Yeah, Brie Larson, who was in a film last year that was about a woman imprisoned um, in her home by her partner. It's it's striking to me that Hollywood is okay with telling those stories, but they're not actually about you know women in in violent situations. But they're not okay with actually dealing with mm. women in their own industry who are experiencing um, assault, harassment, violence uh, from from men. And many people say in Hollywood that you know even just making that sexual assault. Um, allegation and taking it to the police and taking it to your employer is is a career ending prospect not for the man no definitely (laughs) I think and I think because so much of that is invisible like you only Mm. see the end result of a film like I was talking to someone about what women in the arts does yeah and like yeah we're kind of addressing gender you know Mm. inequality and she was like that's really good but like walk onto a film set because it will like blow your mind the way the director talks and it's just so pervasive that Mm -hmm. And she's like, you you have like nice, I mean, it exists in the arts and that's like a reality, but she's like, it is so explicit and it's so everywhere that it just seems like, I, I mean, I'm wondering from your perspective, like how do you go about redressing that? Well, it's huge. So. It's so huge. And obviously, you know, there's a culture of discrimination that is permitted 
where, um, you know, sexist men who don't respect women can act with impunity. That's what is really going on with the Casey Affleck thing. It's it's not about him, really. Um, I mean, of course, in a sense, it isn't the victims of his um, his bullshit, basically, would be much happier if they received justice. But, you know, how would they receive justice? It's not like diversity and feminism in film is not just about the faces we see on screen. It's not just about casting. It's not even just about having more women in creative roles in film. It's about knowing that you can go to work and be safe. You know, so these aspects of um, safety in the workplace, they apply in the arts, you know, and they're not just about women having the confidence to to raise things because we know time and time again that when we do raise things we're not listened to so it's about changing the culture within um, different arts industries. Um, and you've um, spoken or you've written about Screen Australia's gender policy can you talk a little mm. bit about that specifically? Well yeah I mean your last question really applies to this because how do we change it? Well it's much easier in Australia because we have a government supported film industry um, you know in the US it's much more privatised but in Australia you know we have 24 films coming out every year roughly supported by Screen Australia now this year I can only count three films that will be coming out that are directed by women, supported by Screen Australia funding. So what we have is rampant, rampant gender inequality that has been going on for 40 years and actually hasn't been getting better at all in a government supported industry. So what are we as taxpayers, like, like have our expectations just become so low that the gov- like we don't expect government funding will be applied ethically, that that it will be applied to male-dominated films. You know, so, I mean, that's... It's shocking when you think of it in those terms. But also what it means is that it could change tomorrow with a shift in government policy if if the political will was there, like if the policymakers and the politicians, you know, received enough um, political pressure, I think, from us as taxpayers and as the, the film-consuming public. And we saw uh, Screen New South Wales enacted really amazing gender policies. Not Screen Australia, Screen New South Wales, so there's a national body and then there's state agencies as well. And they tend to be a bit more flexible and a bit more um, progressive and nimble um, in... November 2015, they um, enacted a policy of gender parity. It was called 50-50. And they just said, listen, um, we're aiming for full gender equity by 2020. And that means that we're just not going to award funds to films that have male-dominated creative teams. Like, we're just not going to do it. And they um, they just did it straight away. They didn't mess around. They didn't say, oh, it's not possible or you know we have to support individual female filmmakers to like put themselves out there or whatever and yeah so they were aiming to get gender parity by 2020 and they did it by this year they've done it right like this change in government policy has worked before the 50 50 gender parity policy in screen new south wales um female directors were at 15 percent of their funded projects Producers were at 32% and writers were at 23%. And now female directors are attached to 46% of the Screen New South Wales projects. Female writers are 48% and producers are 67%. So this is not an abstract issue. Mm. It's a workplace issue. It's about ending discrimination in the industry. And it's totally possible that we could do that in Australia right now. That's really exciting or yep. terrifying, depending on how you want to look at it in terms <laughs> well, of like... yeah. It's terrifying because it means we're not using our political voice mm. as women in the arts um, and as feminists and as taxpayers as well. Mm. And I think it goes to show that, um, you know, as you said, Izzy, like art isn't in a vacuum. And I think with the Oscars, you know, the film industry in Hollywood is not... It has a women's issue because society has a women's issue and it's not just the Oscars, it's the film industry and the society that we live in. I mean, that society is a very extreme example because 
apparently, you know, you can apply to be president and boast about being a sexual mm. assaulter and that doesn't end your career. In fact, people see it as like, wow, he really, you know, he's, he's a, a straight man. shooter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's no bullshit. But, um, and that's the thing as well, like being a sexual uh, assaulter doesn't end your career in Hollywood. It's a bit different in Australia because we do have the government policy to, to really end um, the, the inequity right now. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you about that. You can read so many opinion pieces on a, on American mm. cinema and how it relates to the broader cultural trends mm-hmm. in the US. Do you think that that's the same in Australia or do you think that that's... Well, I think what we're really getting at is like, you know, what's the relationship between art and the rest of society? And, you know, like you hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, art's a mirror. I actually totally disagree with that. Like, right. Art's a part of society. It's a part of culture. Mm. It's a part of politics. It's a part of the conversations we have. The reason that, you know, gender disparity um, and these inequities and how, you know, basically the identities of society are not reflected in film and art very much, whether it's uh, people of colour, people of disability, queer people, women. The reason that's a problem that they're not on screen is because culture has a relationship with our ideas, you know, and we're in constant conversation with it. It's influencing us. It it matters. It has an impact. And so the other issue is because we've had such male-dominated arts industries, that has changed the type of art that's been made. And there's all these unexplored avenues for cinema and for art that really change when you open up to a diverse industry. And that's what excites me and that's why I love Moonlight so much. Mm. I mean, Manchester by the Sea was a working-class film. I think that's important to remember. It's not just like a bloke's film. It's about working-class families in Boston. But Manchester by the Sea you know, showed something that we hadn't really seen in cinema before and that's like what is it like to be a small gay black boy in Miami and how does that feel in a society that's really hostile to your existence and so it's kind of about identity but it's also you know um, a sideways critique of of the society that we live in I think the strength of it is that it doesn't present those analytical arguments it's just like wow how does Chiron feel what's it like for Mm -hmm. him and it's such a tactile film it's Color-wise, it's kind of got all the colors of the queer rainbow, and you feel that you're in, you know, his his life, and you know, you're rolling around the grass on his football field, and you're in the water, and you know, you can almost feel it sliding over you, the water, and that's the empathetic, you know, potential of cinema to put us in that small gay black boy's world, and and picture, you know, what does it feel like for him to be in such a hostile society? Yeah, it's a very personal as political story, yeah, isn't that's it? Right. It absolutely nails that. Mm kind of balance mm. I think. and there's no white people in it yeah. there's no white characters at all and I was thinking back um, when you guys asked me onto this show about some of the like the films that like Hollywood thought were like super progressive like five or ten years ago like remember the one that kind of made um, Ryan Gosling famous Half Nelson yeah. and it's like this subgenre of indie American film that was big in the 90s and the 2000s where there'd be like a benevolent white teacher going white to like savior, a black kind of, neighborhood yeah. and like saving the kids with his awesome teaching skills yeah. and um, one of the dudes I think from a lot Friends, of people went into teaching because yeah, yeah. kind of like I'll go and save it them was all. like a recruitment mm. video or something but um yeah, he did function as the white saviour and, you know, Moonlight, I mean, yeah, it's not like that. It's about a self-governing black society. It doesn't operate at the level of symbolism at all. Like, there's no archetypes in it. There's no goodies. There's no baddies. Um, they're all just working out how to live on their own terms and that's an amazing thing that I hadn't seen before on film. But even visually, like, you just, mm. I'd just never seen black skin shot like that yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you realise what 
how gross Hollywood is in the way. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the um, Barry Jenkins was talking mm. about the fact that, like, in every other film that he's been on, they um, powder out black skin and make it whiter <laughs> and make it less glossy. Less shiny. Less shiny. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, no, we're going to do this. This is Florida. We're sweaty. That's and, right. and it was so beautiful. And yeah. you, you got to see all of the different tones. And it was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, such a rich film. Yeah. And you're not like, where are all the white people? You're like, no. oh, it just didn't. You don't need it. Because, yeah. like, it's a complex story that right. has its own community and its own kind of social rules and yeah it's mm. beautiful anyway we're talking to lauren carroll harris about the ethical consumption of film and cinema we want to hear about you uh, from you about um what you've boycotted and why in terms of film music katie doesn't listen to ace with bass anymore <laughs> I don't sometimes really. i do <laughs> guiltily <laughs> we're nearly out of time right. actually <laughs> we've got one last track for you but before we go lauren do you have any films that you're really excited about that are coming up oh coming up um Oh, listen, I'm not really across heaps what's going on. I mean, I did on Netflix, I watched a great um, doco by Ava DuVernay um, that was nominated for an Oscar last week. Um, It's called 13th and it's about the privatised prison industry in the US and how that has criminalised not behaviours but blackness. So, yeah, I'd really recommend that on Netflix oh, right now. Yeah, and is it, is it talk about, like, the transition from, like, slavery to emancipation? Exactly. Yeah, and it's it like historically terrifying. shows that continuum. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. No problems. Our last track is from a band called Wild Beasts. This one's called Alpha Female. And there's this really amazing film clip that's just come out. It's directed by Sasha Rainbow and it's in shot in India. And it's about this group of um, skateboarding women and they're all kind of skating in their saris. And it is just incredible. We'll pop a link up to that on the agenda show page, as well as what we've been talking about today. I think we're so impressionable. Last week we saw a in Psychos and now I just ride to work every day. So probably next week we're going to be like, skateboarding. So basically the takeaway message from Agenda is start a skateboarding group. Um, This one's called Alpha Female. You've been listening to Agenda on FBI.